Welcome to the Ingrained and Balanced Podcast, a place where busy adults can find the knowledge and inspiration to get back on track to living a healthier, well-balanced lifestyle. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ingrained and Balanced Podcast. Uh, We've got another great guest today for the show. I'm sure you're going to enjoy the conversation. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Her name is Fitz Kohler. Fitz is actually a race announcer, a fitness expert, a cancer-crushing keynote speaker, and author of the Cancer Comeback Series. Okay, she's among the most prominent and compelling fitness experts and race announcers in America. She has a master's degree in exercise and sports sciences and decades of experience teaching fitness worldwide. Fitz has helped countless people live better and longer by making fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. In 2019, Fitz was diagnosed with breast cancer, and her healthy and athletic body was brutalized by 15 months of chemotherapy, radiation, and surgeries. But instead of shutting down, she turned the volume up on her career. She also strategically orchestrated her own healthy cancer comeback from sick, scrawny, and weak to a strong Boston Marathon finisher. Her memoir, My Noisy Cancer Comeback, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life, was released in 2020 and has been a massive source of motivation for those facing hardships of all sorts. As the voice of the Los Angeles Marathon, the Buffalo Marathon, the Big Sur Marathon, Detroit Free Press Marathon, DC Superhero Series, and more, Fitz brings structure, energy, and joy to sports. She has appeared on many national media outlets, hosts a popular podcast, The Fitness Show, and has performed as a speaker and spokesperson for corporations like Disney, Oakley, Tropicana, and Home Depot. This is successful school running and walking program, The Morning Mile, has inspired millions of children, their families, and teachers to get moving in the mornings. Her book series, The Cancer Comeback, which is a three-pack, was built to empower cancer patients and survivors to preserve and restore their physical and mental health by strategically controlling the things they can. Cancer and its treatments can be brutal, but with a strong mental game and an arsenal of intelligent efforts, the road can be so much less bumpy. Wow. I mean, without any further ado, let's just jump right into this. Here we go. Fitz, thank you so much for joining us today. Say hello to Marty. I got Marty here on the line as well. Hey, Fitz. Marty and Lonnie, I am so happy to be with you guys. Thank you for having me on your show. Of course, of course, of course. You know, before we dive in anything, obviously, you've been in the game a long time, a few decades, right? Spreading the word and helping people with their fitness and, and health and wellness routines and so on. Things are going great. And then in 2019, something happened to kind of change the trajectory a little bit didn't affect you much because you adapted. But can you take a minute and tell us a little bit about that and how it's affected your life? Yeah, I can definitely. And and trust me, it affected the hell out of me. So in 2019, seven weeks after a sparkly, clean mammogram, I found a lump in my breast. I was getting out of a shower. I was actually out at a race weekend to run a race, doing the healthy athletic thing that I do. And I rubbed my underboob after getting out of the shower and I found a lump and it was uh, terrifying. And, you know, I managed myself very well. I'm, I'm the queen of not crying over milk that hasn't spilled. They don't find a lot of use and worry 
and frets. It just doesn't seem to benefit anyone at any time. If somebody can show me differently, I'd be interested in looking at that. But what I did is I just made the appointments and about a week or so later, I had had enough appointments and scans and biopsies and I was told, Fitz Kohler, you have cancer. And that set me off on 15 months of chemo, which is a very, very long time to have chemo, uh, 33 rounds of radiation, some surgeries, and chaos ensued. Some of it really good, some of it obviously really bad, um, but I made a whole heck of a lot of really good decisions that benefited me and my health personally, and then benefit other people's health. And then my career tripled while I was sick, which is pretty awesome, or my business tripled. So yeah, cancer, poo-poo on you. You say business, like elevator tripled. What do you think, what was happening in your life that affected the business growth? So we make decisions, right? There's always things we can control. And even with cancer, I want people to know there's things we can control. And I have my new books, The Cancer Comeback Series. It's all towards getting people to to grab the reins of their own life and and do the best that they can with what they can. And so one of the main decisions I made before I started treatment, and again, I didn't know what was going to go on. I had no idea how sick I was going to be. And I, I basically looked like I had, or I felt like I had a either a violent stomach bug or food poisoning every single day for 15 months. So go go function with that type thing. But I decided I wasn't going to let cancer take special time from me and my kids who were teenagers. And if they had a show, a sport, a ceremony, I was going to be there no matter what. And then I also wasn't missing out on my career. And my career pretty much requires me to get on an airplane and fly across the country almost every weekend of the year and host tens of thousands of runners. I'm a professional race announcer. And I just decided I'm not going to do it now, or I'm not going to miss out on that. Now, if I had, because most people would say, oh, you have cancer, you have chemo and radiation, stay home. You know, now the mentality is hide out, wear a mask, isolate. And instead, I just said, no, I'm I'm not going to do those things. And if I had stayed home, fitness would have fizzled out, right? People would have forgotten me. I would have been replaced in every capacity. And I'd probably be scraping by right now. But because I took my bald head and uh, sick body on the road, and I had miraculous experiences, I would sleep on the hotel bathroom floor to stop the earth from spinning type thing. And then I dragged myself up at 4.30 in the morning when my alarm went off and I would get over to the finish line. And the second I stood on my stages, absolutely everything that was wrong with me disappeared. I got to be full force Fitzkohler again for as long as I had an athlete out on the course. And so, you know, clearly my job is unique and there's a lot of adrenaline and the dopamine and the excitement and so forth. But if you love what you do, if you love taking care of animals, or you love painting houses or mowing lawns, whatever it is, it really will have a dramatic effect on your mental, on your mind and allow you to take the focus off the things that are wrong with you and put them on the good stuff. And, and hopefully people don't need to have cancer to uh, harness that joy and those experiences. Obviously, one thing we talk and preach a lot about this are habits and daily habits. And it's so interesting that one of the things you said right away was, you know, you were just going to get out. You weren't going to be that person that put their hood out and secluded themselves because I think Marty, both of us, I mean, I've got some relationships personally, professionally in the last 10, 15 years of people that had to battle with cancer, you know, and I, yeah. And I witnessed things I witnessed, how people 
you know, dealt with it in their own ways, negatively or positively, you know, and I think what you're, these little steps, if you just, just get some air, get out, embrace it. This way, your mindset is addressing, you still have to do what you have to do to live your life, especially when you have kids. I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, I talk so big. This is how I talk. I'm very forceful with my opinions and my experience. And these are my experiences. And this is what works for me, which is actually so exciting. I'm not I'm not projecting, right? I'm not someone who, I'm not even an oncologist, right? I'm someone who's actually walked the walk. Um, so I'm not telling people you have to get out and go. However, I know the benefits of getting up and going. I know that if I would have stayed home, all I would have been was sick. All I would have been was sick. And did I cry? Absolutely. I cried probably every single day. I would often do it alone in my car or alone in my bathroom. The stress was extraordinary. The suffering was beyond. Uh, so I definitely cried, but I would, I would shed the tears and I would dry them up and I'd try to get on with it. Now, some days I was just laid out in bed. I, I was hospitalized once, but I mean, for the most part, when I could do something, I did do something. And that, that's really the message is what can you do? I don't think basking in the grief, basking in the misery is good for you. I don't think that I hate the word think sometimes. I know that isolation is not good for anybody unless you're a prisoner and you deserve it, right? Unless you hurt some people, isolation is good for you. If you're, if you're a, a wonderful person who's been diagnosed with cancer, well, that isolation isn't helpful. And, and, you know, I went out and I hugged thousands of germy, sweaty strangers as the most immune compromised person on earth. And I think because of the mental benefits, I never got sick once. I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you, you might not get a cold, but it, I, I think when you're doing what you love, and for me, it was outside and sports and athletics, I, I never got sicker than I was just from the cancer care. Did you have to deal with like doctors or relatives trying to advise you otherwise? Like, you've got to stop being around people. You need to, did you have to deal with that? Or was it just, no, what I'm doing is my way or the high, that's it. It's so interesting. My oncologist never tried to stop me. And again, it was before COVID, but still there were the flu. That's no fun, right? It's not a whole lot different. But my doctors knew that pursuing my career and my special time with my kids was good for me. They wanted me to live the best life that I could despite cancer. So they encouraged it. I would actually send pictures to my oncologist, Dr. Gordon, photos of me in front of 20,000 people that were going, yay. And he was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Uh, my mom on occasion would get stressed. And so because I was so sick, I had to have IV fluids every weekday to prevent me from suffering the dramatic effects of dehydration. And I, I would even go and have IV fluids in California and New York and all these places. And my mom would freak out, what if this, what if that? And I'd say, mom, I work in the marathon running industry. On my stage at the start and the finish line, there's always a medical tent right behind me. I couldn't do any better career because there's literally an ambulance behind me for most hours of my workday. So if something did happen, I, I was in a very fortunate position that some hunky EMS would come over and grab me. I'm sure I'm slightly disappointed. Nothing ever went down and I didn't need yeah. any awesome rescuing by some hunky first responders. But uh, but yeah, my mom, of course, everybody's yeah. mom would panic, right? Sure. Every parent's going to definitely feel like they have to say something or recommend something, <laughs> you know? You said early on, you talked about how you 
generally do not fear things that haven't occurred yet, right? So anxiety, like I, I feel like you are either like God given blessed, or you have worked like super hard to like to just to get yourself to that place where you don't have that kind of because I have lots of it. I've always had lots of it. I still have lots of it. Work on it. Different things trigger it, and I think a lot of people have that. And so I appreciate that you also talked about the fact that, hey, like they were like almost every day you cried, like it may have been in your car by yourself because you come across as someone who is like almost superhumanly strong, positive, not even like, close, mentally, yeah. like, you know, just a tower of power type of. So I, I appreciate that because, you know, I think you're either and probably it's probably a combination of one being blessed with like super amazing brain chemistry and two being blessed with you know discipline mental discipline to tell yourself the stories to control those thoughts to you know have because most people you know i i think would have i know that i would have a much more difficult time so i i appreciate you you talking about the you know the the times where you really really struggled because i think that makes you a lot more relatable you know to to people yeah you know i say there's no marvel in me i'm definitely not a superhuman there's nothing in fact there's nothing super about me i'm as plain jane regular as they come other than this big mouth of mine um so i was blessed with a sunny disposition i'm a tigger i'm a tigger through and through i'm a joy addict i prefer happy um i really did not and do not enjoy those dark days, the dark moments really weigh heavily. And it, I, it certainly makes me empathize with people who feel uh, that stress on a regular basis. But I think more importantly, I'm a, pragma a pragmatic person and have decided what's beneficial. Usually I can figure that out by watching other people behave. You know, I'm a real observer. And my mother-in-law, for example, she's a lovely lady. She has wasted 80% of her days worrying, worrying about this or that, something that probably will never happen. But I watch her just fret and, and miss out. I'm not going to go anywhere because this might happen and that might happen. And she's such a lovely lady. And I, I just think, what a waste of so much time. What a horrible thing to do to yourself. And so uh, very specifically, I have learned to check myself. You know, why panic over something that hasn't happened? You know, I mean, we could all get hit by a car every single day of the year, but I'm not going to wake up thinking, oh, today might be the day I get hit so, by a car. So when you say check yourself, because, you know, what does that, I think, I, I think most people would love to learn how to not worry. Like people think, hey, if I worry about this, maybe there's something that I can do about it. If I can think of something that can go wrong, maybe I can avoid it, something like that. So there are some positive aspects of worrying, right? So when we were in, you know, when, 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 when human beings were, were, were young, there were, there were those who, who went out and they had no worries and they would hunt for the tigers and they were people, you know, there was one who had lots of worries and they stayed in the tree and they didn't do it, you know, and most of the time, the people who survived, they had some worries. They weren't the guy that always went out and went after the boar and went after the tiger, right? Because sooner or later that guy gets killed, right? So it's, there's, there's gotta be a mixture. So the, the challenge comes when we have those worries that are not productive. And you talked about something that's very interesting. You said you checked yourself. Is that something that you learned from someone else? Is that something that someone told you? Or is that something that just came through? So I believe in control. 
I love controlling things. I am super type A in many regards. But then I also know there's things I can't control. And those things that I can't control, I can't harp on. I can't, I, I can't change it. You know, I can't control what you're wearing right now. I can't control, you know, so much stuff. So I decide, can I control that? If not, I have to let it go. And I make that decision, let it go. Uh, my refrigerator died last night, just died. I could have freaked out. I'd be like, oh, that's a $2,000 refrigerator. Gosh, darn it. All the food's going to go up. Well, it happened. Can I control it? Can I make my refrigerator work again? I can't. And so some people would still be agonizing. You know what I did? I went out and I bought a freaking refrigerator today. So I didn't like having to do it. I mean, that's $2,000 to buy something you already had isn't a good time, but um, it's already punishing me by taking my money. It's not, it's not going to take up time in my head. And so I think knowing the difference. And then once you've decided, I, I can't worry about this. Like worrying isn't going to benefit me choose distractions. For me, quite often, it's exercise. Anytime I feel like stress of something, I go straight to the gym or I hit a trail. I just get outside. I move. I know how to uh, distract myself from whatever's going on. And so think about the things that distract you. Is it great music? Is it going for a ride? Is it playing with your dogs? Is it getting involved with your kids? Whatever it is, do that thing. Uh, and yeah, did I have to make time fly by? while I was waiting for this information with cancer, I did. But in my mind, I thought, well, whatever's going on there is already going on. You know, what if it's just some calcification or some fluid filled something? What a dummy I would have been for having a stomach ache for eight days, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. Does yeah. that make sense to you? I, I, well, it makes sense. And I'm glad you brought up, I, I, I think, something that's very important. You talked about a distraction. because. For most people, it's not that people don't have negative thoughts. People don't have worry. The difference is usually that the people who are better, who say that they don't worry very much, or what they do is when the worry comes in, they get rid of it quickly, right? So they push it out, right? And there's lots of different ways to do it. Different people have different ways of doing it. Sometimes it's saying something out loud, like, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going, you know. That, that works for some people and people use tapping. There are all kinds of different techniques, but you're talking about something that, that I think is really important is a distraction, right? And in your case, what you have is a very healthy distraction, right? Because there are, there are healthy distractions. There are less healthy distractions. You know, e even a healthy distraction can be, you know, unhealthy if taken to the extreme, right? But it, it certainly doesn't sound like that's, that's at all the case for you, but. Your healthy distraction was exercise. And people, it sounds like you're a people person. I Very much so. Very much so. And, you know, if I would have said, oh, I found a lump. I don't like that. I'm going to ignore it. Well, that would be moronic distraction, right? But I took action where I could. And then I, I just made the most of, of the days. Again, it's, it's, it, I know it's much easier to be a Tigger than an Eeyore. It's, it's so much easier. And I genuinely feel and have empathy for people whose gut instinct is to agonize. Um, but can you make change? And this is my whole business is about is compelling people to do better and be better. And yes, it's about exercise and nutrition and sleep, but it's also that mental fortitude, those choices we have. And I couldn't change the fact that I have cancer or had cancer. I like to say had in past tense, but I, I chose my doctors, you know, I found the A team and boy, did I trust them. 
they recommended a treatment plan, I knew it was with my within my power to say, I approve that treatment plan, or I think it's stupid, I'm going elsewhere. And so having control over as much as possible really goes a long way. And uh, yeah, it it may sound a little, I don't know, excessive, my attitude, but it works. It works for me. And I tell you what, I've been spending decades bossing people around and uh, these are these are learnable skills and other people are doing better successfully in their personal relationships, their professional experiences and with their own health because they've adopted these, you know, simple decisions to control what you can and try and get past the things that you can't, at least for the moment. How about the new person, somebody that's been busy with a different life story, family, starting a business for the last 20 years, and they haven't exercised. And then they have this life-changing you know, thing they have to deal with. Um, if you're talking to a new client or somebody, like, what is some you know, inspiration you give them on how they can at least start at the starting line, get the ball rolling? So it's important for people to know where they're going, right? You don't ask, Suri, take me somewhere. They say, Suri, take me specifically to this location. And so I want people to know who they want to be. What does that better version of them look like? How does he or she look? How does she feel? How do they perform? What can they do? Those those are really important things because if not, you're wandering aimlessly, right? So set a target and then start where you are. You know, right now, um, especially now because of the books, I'm dealing with cancer patients, right? Okay, so if you didn't exercise before cancer, I can't undo that. But what can we do right now to prepare your body to face these obstacles uh, more effectively and efficiently? And how do we slow the decline? And then where, how do you build back up? And really what that requires is baby steps. It requires some knowledge. Uh, and so when it comes to fitness, there's those four pillars of fitness and you can't qualify as being a fit person without one of them. So the pillars are strength, cardiovascular capacity, flexibility, and balance. And you know, a way to make this make sense to people is if you are a marathoner, who can't do five push-ups? Are you fit? The answer is no. You know, if you are a yoga instructor who can do all the super bendy things, but you can't climb a flight of stairs without sucking wind, are you fit? You're not. And so there's a whole bunch of examples in either direction. So what I want people to do is just make tiny efforts moving forward for strength over total body strength, cardio, flexibility, balance, all pillars matter. You start choosing foods that help versus foods that hurt. Uh, we learned this stuff in kindergarten. I could break it down for you, but we know that produce and whole grains and uh, lean protein sources, nuts and seeds and beans, those are all good for you. And then the stuff that's not so good, hydrogenated oils, heavily processed foods, processed meats and so forth. So uh, alcohol and sugary sodas, there's the good versus the bad. And, and any kindergartner can probably, you know, categorize food options. So you have to eat the right amount of the right food for the size you want to be. I do not believe in diets, pills, powders, weight loss supplements. They're all snake oil. They're all lies. They all lead to uh, misery, absolute misery. You might have some short-term success. Disappointment, then misery, right? Yes, suffering, <laughs> disappointment, misery. And the worst part is you're giving money to this industry full of liars and scummy thieves. You know, it's the fitness industry the weight loss industry is despicable. It's just really gross. Anytime you put the word diet on a product, it's it's a scam, right? Because if I took an apple and I said, well, this is an apple, but this one's a, a, a weight loss apple. Give me $5 for this apple. Instantly, you would look at me and you go, 
you're a liar. That's not a weight loss apple. That's an apple, right? Food is food. There's no such thing as a diet food, a food that makes you lose weight more. It's, you know, quality foods and then your caloric intake. Now, if people go to the cover of fitness.com, they'll read the exact formula for weight loss. It's just science and uh, teaches you exactly what your caloric budget should be. And if you stick with it within that, if you aim for that budget every day, eventually you will shrink down to your goal weight. Or if you're trying to gain weight, it will help you gain weight and get to where you want to be. And if you fill most of those calories up with uh, nutritious food, you're going to really have success in every aspect of health. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to take a step back for a second because you mentioned something that was super interesting to me and we haven't heard it yet on any of our podcasts. Oh, good. And you, and you talked about sort of managing the decline because, you know, in the case of when you have a serious illness, you are going to experience a decline. You know, if, if you have, if you're going on chemo, you are going to have a, you know, basically a general, if I understand it correctly, a general health and a general well-being decline in the short to medium term, right? And you talk, so for someone who is, has always been, I, I am guessing that for a long time that you have been in tremendous shape and that has been a big part of who you are and how you see yourself. So how did you mentally deal with understanding like, or did you like right away, did you accept Hey, there's going to be a decline in this. And if you realize that right away and you accept it right away, like, oh my God, like, <laughs> like I bow down to you. Like, how did you do that so quickly and easily? Like, but can you talk a little bit about that? So nothing was easy. Absolutely nothing was easy. It was all very, very hard. And, and there wasn't one iota of my body that wasn't brutalized. My eyes changed colors. My vision blurred. Every one of my finger and toenails ripped off at some point. Uh, my skin was a nightmare. My, I lost, I looked like Voldemort. I lost my hair. I lost my lashes. I lost my brows. Um, but you know, there's a certain element of reserve. So if you're going to lose muscle mass, would you rather start with more muscle mass knowing you're going to lose some or, you know, a low muscle, a low amount of muscle mass? So it's, if you're in super shape going into something, your decline might put you in the shape that a regular Joe is in. And if you're a regular Joe, then all of a sudden you start knowing what it feels like to be a weakling. Now, um, my treatment was, had catastrophic effects on me and I, I fought it tooth and nail. So I had maybe a two week window between diagnosis and starting chemo. I was at the gym every day. I wanted to get as much muscle as I could and much endurance because I knew there would be a decline along the way. I did what I could when I could. So if I could go for a walk, I went for a walk. Uh, if it was one of those. But did you just accept it? Like, how no, do you, no. how did you, how did you accept the fact that my health is going to decline? Even if, even if you bring it up and you know, and say, I'm going to get in super, super health, you still, if there was still like, you, there has to be an acceptance. If there's no acceptance that your health is going to decline, then you're going to be miserable through that process. It, because there has to be a level of acceptance. I, right? I don't know if I accepted it. Um, I just knew that there was things that were out of my control. So I was making those efforts. But I can tell you that, you know, when I hit rock bottom, rock bottom was uh, 11% weight loss. So from I'm already, look, I'm a thin person. This is <laughs> I'm a thin person. Imagine me 10 pounds less. I was skeletal. You know, it, it, what happens is very slow. 
you know, you don't lose 11 pounds in one day. At least I didn't. Uh, Some people probably do. But yeah, you just, you lose your hair. I was of normal weight. I lost my hair and then things started. But how did you deal with that as a tigger? How how does that work? That was me. You know, I cried before my hair uh, fell. When, you know, when it finally was shaved off, it was like ripping off a Band-Aid. It was, it was sad, but it was also relieving because then I didn't have to endure the stress of losing the hair. So again, that was a control point. You know, I still would look in the mirror and cry sometimes, but I just get on with it. You know, I just look and I thought, well, I can't fix this. I could have worn a wig and I decided not to. That was also a control thing. You know, I put on a wig and I thought, well, these things feel weird. And they kind of look weird to me and uh, they make me sad. And there, that's what I decided. I decided, you know what? I have, I'm going through enough. I'm not going to do anything that makes me even one iota sadder than I already am. And so men don't hide their bald heads. I will not either. I will not wear a wig. And so, so I don't know if it. that, I, I just it. owned it. Yeah, but it still made me sad. I just looked in the mirror every time I caught a glimpse. I think, what the hell? <laughs> Who is that person? But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you have you have to accept it because you have no choice, right? I mean, I imagine soldiers, they lose their leg at war or two legs. I mean, that's real trauma. Well, they always um, have, I mean, people gotta, always have, people have always have choices, right? So yeah. you, you don't have to accept it. You can, you can, you can live in anger, right? right. And yeah, so you, can, you can be anger at, at somebody. You can be anger at the world. You can be un- angry at the unfairness of it. You can start drinking, you know, you can turn to, instead of distraction, you can turn to, you know, unhealthy soothing. You can, you can say, Hey, you know what? I deserve, you know, to be able to have a little bit of numbness here. Right. So, so I, I have a good answer to your question now, and I'm sorry I didn't um, come up with it previously because it's actually a big focus of what, what I do in these books is perspective, you know? So before cancer, my mantra was, it's not cancer. And so if we had a car accident, if maybe I lost a job opportunity or whatever, I would say it's not cancer and, and we'd get on with it, right? It wasn't a big deal. And then for me, all of a sudden it was cancer. And so that little mantra I had could have sounded the alarms. Holy crap, it's cancer. Freak out, freak out. And again, while I did have those tearful moments, instantly my knee-jerk response was to utilize perspective again. And what I did embrace was the fact that I wasn't a kid with cancer. And we see these commercials all the time. I'm in Gainesville, Florida. We have a huge pediatric oncology wing at the University of Florida Hospital. And can you imagine, like, that would be the worst to be a child with cancer. And so that was my first thought. I'm not a child with cancer. More importantly, it's not my child with cancer. And thankfully for me, um, I mean, gosh, one of my very close friends had recently died of pancreatic cancer, which was a nightmare and heartbreaking. And I felt very fortunate that even though I was scared and stressed and and suffering, she was facing this almost unwinnable battle. That would have been a very different experience. And so um, perspective, if you want to know how I dealt with things, it was that I never had a pity party. Was I sad? Yes. I never had a why me moment. I never felt like, you know, people say it's for a reason. And if you feel that way, good for you. But there's no way I think to a god in the sky looked at me and planted a seed of doom in my left breast. I don't think that was pre-planned. And, uh, you know, if you think so, okay. But I just decided it was a fluke. It was one cell that went rogue. 
turned my life upside down for quite a while. And um, I was going to make the choices that I could. I was grateful that all of these people got so pissed off from losing their mothers and wives and sisters and daughters that they started fundraising and made breast cancer uh, one of the most well-funded, well-researched cancers on planet Earth. And that's why it's 94% curable. So I'm the beneficiary of all of these other women and men's hardships. Gosh, I just, maybe something's broken in me, Marty, but I don't have the ability to pity myself. Well, you certainly have the ability. You've made made choices. You've made choices, conscious decisions that you're not going to allow. Because when you say something like, there was never a moment. Never. I'm going to think like, maybe you are just blessed, but there's always a thought that says, ah, you know, that to me, that's a moment. And even you, you push back on that and, and to your point, perspective, it could be worse and gratefulness, right? So you're exhibiting gratefulness. Thank goodness for all these people who have raised so much money so that science has gone out and had such a very high success rate against this particular type of cancer, particularly with early detection, which it sounds like, you know, you were really, really good at, right? You did everything right there. And so, you know, you're blessed, but I think those those are things people can take away that perspective, that gratefulness, and, you know, that sense of, Hey, like when I have these negative thoughts, when I, I, all right, maybe you don't have them. Most other people do. You have to push them out. You have to create a distraction. You have to, you know, you have to be, you know, just tenacious about not giving in to those thoughts that you know are unproductive, you know, that you know are hurtful. So, Marty, I might have felt those feelings many years ago in other circumstances. I might have felt, felt victimized. I just, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it. I, I'm the person when I'm at an airport, my flight gets delayed, or if I'm stuck on the runway for three hours, all I think is, well, thank goodness they caught the problem and they're fixing it before we get up in the air. And everyone around me is whining and moaning and, oh, they're so put off. Well, you know what? If we exploded in midair, that would have been a real, a uh, real put off situation. So I don't know. I just can't. I can't do it. And it's, I think it's a learned habit, you know, as I've matured pragmatism and, uh, you know, sometimes life sucks, things sucks. Okay. Why me? Are you kidding? Why not me? Cancer is everywhere. Why wouldn't it come knocking on my door? And maybe it had a million other times and my body was so effective at shutting it down. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I do. I, I just think it's a habit that is so practiced that I think it's we have to ring the we we ring the bell when you said it's a learned habit because that's exactly what it is. It's a learned habit. It's something that you learned early on. Okay, maybe you were predisposed, like maybe you know, like Olympic runners. Are they Olympic runners because you know they work so hard? Well, yeah, but they're also Olympic runners because they were born with the potential to be there. Not everybody has the potential, no matter how much you train, to be an Olympic runner. But so you. you you were probably born with 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 the potential to be a great tigger, but you also have these learned habits, you know, that you have developed. And Lonnie, I know you and I are on the same page 100%. I, I give so much credit to, you know, any success I have in my life to learned habits. You know, there's some luck in there, but learned habits are... Yeah, I, I think it comes with maturity, right? The more you kind of live and you have life experiences and you witness stuff that's happening to you or people you love or things in society, 
that aren't the result of something. It's kind of a, a like you learn like, oh my God, nothing could have affected that outcome anyway. So as you get older, you realize, why am I worrying about things? What you touched on earlier, like I'm, I think I take pride in that. I don't worry about stuff I have no control over. So when stuff happens, you set yourself up for, you're, you're, you're not failing already. You know what I mean? But I think the more sheltered you are, especially for younger people, they haven't experienced life yet. So, hey, safe space is the worst idea on yeah. planet Earth. We, the worst. We need people to face adversity and yes. hardship and ugly words. We all need to confront jerks. That helps us be able to handle jerks in the future. You know, I, that's interesting. <laughs> no safe spaces. There's some truth there. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> well, listen, this has been incredible. Before we wind up, I want to let you tell us a little bit about the Cancer Comeback series and your books and the latest one you did here recently. You want to? Talk a little bit about it. Thank you so much. So yeah, I'm happy to talk about the Cancer Comeback series. It started with this one. It's my noisy cancer comeback. It's my memoir, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life. And, you know, in there, I, I detail all the gory, nitty gritty details of my cancer experience. But what makes it really interesting is the collision of cancer with 30 something trips and through the air and on the road to announce all of these races and my interactions with hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of incredible people. So people say when they read the book, sometimes they cry, but they laugh a whole lot more. And it's already being uh, widely accepted by cancer patients. It's something that lifts them up and helps them do better. We talk a lot about perspective, passion, positivity, remembering you can do hard things and getting through um, the tough stuff you face. So the new books, which I am so excited for because when I hit rock bottom, I knew exactly how to rebuild my body. I had no question mark over my head how I was going to get back to not only healthy and fit, but athletic. And I ran the Boston Marathon a, a little over a year after finishing all of my treatment. So I, you know, I did really good in that uh, arena. Yay me. But when I hit rock bottom and I knew how to fight my way back, I agonized for my peers, for those cancer patients who their, their health, their bodies are destroyed and they have no knowledge on how to get back to any, any appearance of health and so forth. So the, this book is, uh, your healthy cancer comeback, sick to strong. And it is a thorough guidebook, manual, blueprint, call it what you want, but it will guide you a to prevent that decline. If you get the book right as you get diagnosed, it will help you stave off that decline and then help you get all the way back. And we use exercise, nutrition, sleep, complementary care, these mental tactics and so forth. So the book is is uh, just jam-packed with quality information to help you. And, and I hope 0% of your listeners have cancer. This is, this is my wish for your listeners. However, I'm confident 100% of them love a cancer patient. So please let them know this is available. I also, along with this new, uh, with your healthy cancer comeback, there's a companion, the Healthy Cancer Comeback Journal. And that's the perfect place for people to jot down all of their oncology details, the diagnosis, the data diagnosis, the treatment plan, medical providers, blah, blah, blah. But then there's um, prompts calling for your feelings and your faith and your friendships. You know, which which friend is your best shoulder to cry on? Which friend always sends the funny text to put a smile on your face? And then there's a section for the fun stuff because uh, I thought cancer had the it actually was hilarious. If you put on, <laughs> if you put on your, your, uh, good sense of humor, there's some things that were awful and really kind of hysterical at the same time. So 
You know, have you given your port a nickname? Have you nicknamed your tumor? What celebrities do you look like bald? And so there's a whole section for fun stuff. And then last but not least, and probably most importantly, the back half of the book is uh, just a string of pages where you can log and track your progress with fitness. So it's my noisy cancer comeback, your healthy cancer comeback and the healthy cancer comeback journal. They will be available any, everywhere books are sold. Um, but fitness.com, my website, that's F-I-T-Z as in zebra, N-E-S-S.com. And every single book that leaves my office will be hand signed and like, how else? Not with sign with my feet, but they will be personally signed. They all come with a free gift of purchase. And I wrap them in uh, beautiful packaging because I want all of my readers to feel special. Awesome. Great. Thank well, you. listen, I, we enjoyed this conversation. I'm taking away the four pillars. I think I practice at least three of them every day. But I know it, Marty and I can always talk about we can always stretch more, right? <laughs> I, I've, I've got something before we let Fitz go. I've got one question to ask, and that is, what was the healthy habit that you have that you practice every day that you've practiced today? Oh, today it's getting outside and walking. And I did that with my dogs. I, no matter what, I'm, I, I, the outside is my happy place. And my dogs are my happy friends, right? My favorite people. <laughs> yeah. Fresh <laughs> air, right? Absolutely. I've said just to decompress. I do it every day at the end of the day. Do you have a favorite? meal at the end of the day and what time do you eat it how far before you go to sleep um you know i'm a grazer uh, chemo actually left my stomach kind of weird so i don't have the ability to really sit down have a sandwich and a side and all the stuff but usually the last thing i eat every night is probably 9 30 10 o'clock and i eat multiple tangerines and a banana oh interesting gosh. wow that is See, we get I, I, we get different answers all the time, which I love. I love this. And would you? Are you going to sleep average? What ten o'clock, eleven o'clock? Like probably what? about ten o'clock. I love sleep. You OMG. eat right before yeah. you sleep, and you eat sh like natural, but sh like relatively yeah. high sugar. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, wild. it's okay. Fruit sugar. Yeah, I get hungry. You know, it's I, I can only eat little bit, little bit. So um, I'm like a baby. I start to get hungry before bed. I need okay. my little it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting. People have you, different different habits and and different things work for different people. You know what? I started practicing uh, probably about two months ago now. If if I get some emails towards the end of the day and I get some stress and I know it's going to affect me falling asleep, I read somewhere online um, about a some advice. I have a whole wheat half sandwich thin with peanut butter and a slice of banana on top of it knocks me out 20 minutes. I'm, I'm out. It's great. Um, so I don't know something, a little nugget you could take Marty. You want to try that? <laughs> Cause I'm anti eating right before I go to sleep. I've been against it for years, but I tried it and it works. <laughs> so, you know, what's interesting and we're diving back in, but okay, that's not a pill, which is wonderful, but i strongly believe the evidence shows you should start your day with some nutrition. You know, this is like when you go on a car trip, you don't gas up at the end and go the whole way with an empty gas tank. You fill up and start your day and give yourself a boost of energy to do the things you want to do, especially if you're exercising in the morning. But yeah. uh, the reality is, is calories in versus calories out dictates your size. So if people are yeah. afraid to eat at night, unless you're eating stupid at night, right? You're doing the reckless nom, nom, yeah. nom eating. 
Uh, there's no reason if you have a 1600 calorie a day budget that you can't have some of it first thing, some of it last thing. And right. yeah, I, yeah. I do. It suits me fine. Now I don't wake I up at 3 a.m. with a hungry tummy. <laughs> yeah, right. right, right. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad we finished with that. So, well, this can't thank you enough. Um, everybody out there can't thank you enough for tuning in. Hopefully you're taking something away from this, whether it's for you or someone in your life that you think might benefit from this. Make sure you share this episode with them. And if you haven't done so already, click like and make sure you subscribe so you get notifications when episodes are coming out. I'm going to have links to your book, Bits, in the show notes. If people, you want to find out where you can get her book and go to her website. I'm also going to have that at the bottom of the show notes. And Fitz, I hope you'll join us again sometime soon. I really enjoyed this conversation. We'd love to have you back. I would love to come back. And especially I tune in and there's all these handsome faces staring back at me. Sign me up every day. (laughs) All right, great. With that, we're signing off. All right, guys, thank you. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.